0: Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease." While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly, and when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. That rhymed, the first recorded rap in the Bible. Why are you weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. There you go. You're playing a part in this, in this uh, uh, engaging story. You laughed. They laughed at him, but he put them aside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, rise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. May the Lord bless the reading and expounding of his own precious word this morning. What we see here, we're going to look at the, the two miracles which are sandwiched. We, we start out with Jesus coming back over to the other side, to the Galilean side of the Sea of Galilee. We remember that he'd gotten in a boat, that he'd gone over to the, the Gentile side, healed the man with the thousands of demons inside of him, and then immediately they said, go away, you're scary. In some sense, they preferred the demon guy than Jesus and his authority. Just like the disciples had been less scared of the storm than they were of Jesus who could calm the storm. So, so we're seeing that Jesus is overpowering and, and becoming very impressive to all those around him. So anyway, they, they, they told him to go away, having completed his little mission. He, he approved and he came back all the way the very same day to the other side of the lake. There's no storm that we hear about on that trip. The disciples were very thankful. But then as soon as he steps back onto shore, he's surrounded again by a crowd. He does not get a rest. He does not get uh, space to think and journal and pray. He's, he's a man of action, especially in Mark's gospel. He, he skipped here some of the debates that uh, Matthew puts in that Jesus has as soon as he lands, and he just goes straight to the healings. We're going to look at, uh, instead of the order that it gives it to us, which is uh, the reports of the dying girl and then the bleeding woman and then returning to the, the, uh, the dying girl, we're just going to look at the woman who had the issue of the blood, and then we're going to look at the dying and dead young girl. <clears throat> so look with me down to uh, verse uh, 24, halfway through 24, where we pick up the situation of the bleeding woman. Uh, we, we're told by Mark that this young girl, who Jesus is on the way to heal, is a 12-year-old girl, and we'll look at the details of that in just a moment. But uh, there's some kind of connection in this story between the 12-year-old girl and a woman who is here bleeding for 12 years. She has been suffering for as long as this little girl has even been alive. And, and this is a biological, uh, medical condition. She's, she's having the, the usual flow of, of blood, except it's non-stop. It's, it's a hemorrhage. Without healing, she's going to be, if we think in modern terms, she's going to be low in iron, low in hemoglobin. She will be low in energy, terribly uh, prone to other sicknesses. Her immune system, Gone. But on top of that, she'll be ceremonially unclean uh, in, the, in the worship assembly of the Jews. She, she can't draw near with the covenant people of God and worship in the temple or even in the synagogue. So she's in a desperate case. If she's not on the brink of death, she will have a, uh, an early premature death regardless. If she has family, she doesn't see them often because she is both unhygienic to be around and... She is ceremonially unclean. And, and along with this would just be carried the, the constant shame and embarrassment that she would have. So we have to feel for this lady. We, we're, 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 we're given this bleak situation. We're told not only that she was sick, but that she'd spent all that she had. So now she's impoverished, poor, ha- having nothing to her name now because she's spent everything she has in order to receive good medical attention. And the best of the private health insurance in the first century did nothing. Luke clarifies for us that she didn't just suffer while going to the doctors, like we might read from Mark. He explains she's suffering because of the doctors. Everything they're trying to do, jabbing and taking blood tests and that, I don't know what they were doing that day. But but all that they were doing, and they, they weren't complete cavemen about their uh, uh, medicinal and, and uh, medical acts back then. They, they, they were quite smart, but they, they couldn't do anything. She'd gotten worse and worse, poorer and poorer, sicker and sicker, an outcast of outcasts. And Jesus, in this huge crowd, Mark draws attention, each of the gospel writers at this point They draw attention to the fact that in the middle of a crowd that is bustling and pushing up against him, I don't know if you've ever been to maybe a grand final at Suncorp or or you've gone and you've been in a massive crowd overseas in in Southeast Asia maybe, or you've tried to get on a train line in Tokyo and you've just been crushed just about by everybody else around you. (coughs) It's like that. And, with all of, and so he's following Jairus and the other guy who's with Jairus and, and they're just, they're ducking through and they're pushing through the crowd and they're on a mission. And you have to imagine that this, this lady, sick as she was, embarrassed as she was, well known she would have been because people were supposed to know in those days who to avoid and not to touch. She's probably head covered, powering through this crowd, chasing Jesus, And one of the points that Mark makes here, and this is not a a spiritualization of the the tale, is that Jesus is one who is constantly on the lookout for genuine faith. Jesus was in that moment, and we see this throughout the Gospels, he doesn't care for a crowd. He doesn't take up offerings because he has some investments to make. He doesn't care for for popularity and what men and, and women in the throngs, and in the thousands will say about him. There's a point that they try and make him king and he miraculously disappears from them. Much different to us and many so-called spiritual leaders today, he is not seeking a crowd. And what this shows to us is that while there was thousands of people around him, there was one that Jesus was attuned to. There was one that Jesus had looked for and in a spiritual sense seen. Because it's, it's possible, as in that day, so in our day, It's all too possible and probable that many come around Jesus, they have their traditions, they know they're supposed to go to the traveling teacher, people are supposed to go to church on a Sunday morning, it's good practice to be around a religious community, people want to be in church, around Jesus, but not in Jesus uh, it is possible to be here but not saved, even this morning. Maybe you've been to, come from, or currently are involved in much larger spiritual movements that have crowds and much more impressive light shows. We know there's bigger budgets than ours out there. And, and while, while it's not size that is a problem at all, Jesus wants us, and, and through the reading of Mark, Mark wants us to not put our priority on, 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 on connection to size in a ministry or being simply close to even pressing up against Jesus. Jesus was looking for faith. Do you today have Jesus-centered Biblically informed, sin repenting, cross rejoicing, hope having, future believing faith in Jesus that casts your faith away, holds fast to his finished work on the cross and resurrection, making you a renewed person. Is that you? If not, then like the many around Jesus, who no doubt had their own needs, they wanted to put in applications for a miracle show, Jesus looks to the one with faith. You may be unsaved here today. You may feel like you're you're frequently able to be unseen, or you fear being unseen, that that in the darkest recesses of your heart, you have all the sin, and all you want is to be saved by Jesus, but but you don't know if he would even look to somebody like you. Friends, outcast though you may be, even, even rightfully so in a spiritual sense, maybe you're a filthy, guilty sinner. Short answer, we all are. Jesus still looks to you. He will receive you. He will heal you if You believe. It is faith that Jesus was looking for. In Mark, he wants us to also see that in conjunction with our faith, Jesus is able to do what nothing else can do. We've already said in the Old Testament law. The the solution of the law to this woman was be separated from society, touch nobody, don't come and worship. The, The solution of society was don't touch us, go away, you're filthy the solution of, of, of her money and her medical attempts was not healing, but being worse. But with faith, the solution of Jesus was immediate healing. Not just the stopping of a blood flow, she felt in herself that she was healed. Her, her iron levels, her hemoglobin levels, her energy levels, everything restored. The, the pink came back to her cheeks as she smiled there, sitting in the dirt of Galilee. Jesus is able to do what nothing else, no one else, is able to do. And that doesn't mean, and we're going to look at this in a bit, that with faith you can achieve anything. Just name it, claim it, get on moving, we'll all receive. But but rather, that whatever solution we might be after in a spiritual sense, it is faith alone, in Christ alone. Emphasis on Christ alone. He is the one that Mark wants us to see. Politics. Law, money, society do not provide the realest, truest, deepest, largest needs of the human soul and the world. What we need is a kingdom based on the blood of a king who is both God and man, redeeming sinners. We're going to look at that a little bit, a little bit further. <clears throat> what we see here, I want you to start looking at, at faith here, because <clears throat> well, will faith? We can define faith is. What do you think faith is? How would you define it? You got added a little quiz this morning or somebody asked you in the workplace, what's faith? There's lots of different ways to describe it. Many of them ill-informed or wrong. Faith is the believing of what the Word of God says. That, that, that's as short as I can make it. Believing what God says. Believing God. Let's just make it there. Believing especially uh, with, a, with a focus on Jesus Christ based on what the Word of God says about him. So, it's not enough to simply say, I have faith in anything, God will give it to me, or I have a faith in myself and I will be enough, but rather, what does the Word of God say? Him being an immutable, unchangeable, omnipotent, primary, absolute being before all things, when he says things, it is true. I simply believe what he says, about anything, and that is true biblical faith. Well, well, we need to realize that Christian faith, saving faith particularly, as, as we have the full revelation of it in the, in the Scriptures, faith today that, that I call on, faith today that God demands that we have, is believing what the Word of God says about Jesus. And this woman, in this story, had that kind of faith. It's frequent to come to a story like this and start wondering if Jesus shortcuts the gospel. If Jesus, because he failed today, you read it, I read it, he failed to explain the woman's sinful nature, his own penal substitutionary death on the cross, and his true and real bodily resurrection to a glorified body, and ascension to the Father's right hand, whereby he pours out repentance and faith to his elect. Like he, He said none of these things. He didn't call for faith in this woman to repent of sin and believe in the gospel. How is it that we can say this is faith that Jesus is happy with? There's all sorts of liberal theologians or just kooky preachers out there that'll try and pit Jesus against Paul or try and say, if we go back to New Testament Christianity, we don't need this whole gospel of law and sin and repentance. It's just believing for miracles. But at this point of history that Jesus is walking around healing, the full revelation of all of the explanations of the gospel had not yet been given. What they did know is that God would come to his people and save them and that when God came, he would come as a messenger who would have a ministry of healing and preaching. So if you are a Jew in that day and you see the ministry of Jesus and say, this seems to be God among us in some way, they didn't have the hypostatic union and incarnation down to the, every jot and tittle, but they knew God was here He's doing some kind of powerful work of God and she had the faith to believe he is a promised one. I will draw near and I will receive what I need. So we can, in good faith, with good conscience, not being prosperity gospel people this morning, we can look at her example and and bring it over to our own situation as well. Uh, That Jesus looked at her and said, your faith has healed you and so it did with, with a simple touch. So also we should see that the fulfillment of that, what that would call us to do is also, like this bleeding woman, believe everything that the Word of God says about Jesus. We have more to believe than her. We have a fuller gospel. We have the apostolic writings and explanations. But nonetheless, what we're shown here today is that faith that clings to Christ and everything that the Word of God says about him receives peace with God. I wonder if this has been your experience, that in years of self-help books, maybe psychiatry appointments, uh, 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 seeking to make all sorts of New Year's resolutions and put laws on top of yourself and, and, and get lots of grit and just make yourself a better person, get good advice from other people, follow all the right influences on social media. I wonder if all of this, maybe even medication, medicating yourself through harmful addictions to substances, All of this piles up, and like the bleeding woman, you have to conclude, nothing in this lived experience has the capacity to bring me to the ultimate need that I have. Spiritual restoration, spiritual healing, and peace with God. That moment that she touched the hem, she felt in herself the difference. It doesn't say that she touched the hem, then became unto herself the power to be healed. That's not Christianity. We don't come to Jesus, then you become everything. Rather, we come empty, we receive healing and forgiveness, but we ourselves remain empty. We must continually be uh, in conjunction, in union, in communion with Jesus. But this woman, in the moment of faith, everything changed. That's the Christian's experience. We look back on our, on our attempts, on our seeking to live a righteous life, on our school going on our uh, our Sunday school answers and all that we did that was good or maybe you were outside of the church and you lived in all of these harmful ways seeking to quell what is within you and in the moment you believed it all changed that's the gospel of Jesus that's what he does that's what Mark wants us to see but Jesus wanted to honor that that act of faith you remember what happened when he said who touched me and they all say Jesus, little clue, there's thousands of people here. No one cares about your personal space. Ridiculous to ask who touched you. And Jesus lovingly ignores them and just keeps on looking around for this lady. He, he, he asks her, you know, he just keeps on looking around until she comes forward and then he makes her quite openly tell everybody what just happened. And it seems like a, like a bit of a harsh move that Jesus, I mean, if you've ever been baptized here and had to give you a testimony, you think you're fine, you get up here, you see everybody, fear and trembling, just like this woman. You you have to say something public on the spot even as this woman who probably hasn't had meaningful social interactions for years and Jesus demands of her an ad-lib speech because Jesus wanted to honor faith and the Savior. Psalm 50 verse 15 says uh, that, that you shall call on me and I will deliver you and you will glorify me. This is the pattern of God's salvation in history. It's not enough that you call on God and go unheard, but you call on God and he answers you, delivers you, redeems you and saves you. And you shall glorify him. And Jesus demands that of this situation. He says, go on, tell everybody what just happened because everyone here needs to see that even you can receive healing. And I'm going to not just say be healed, but go in peace. You're restored Because what else he's doing here is giving public testimony to the fact that this woman is, by the authority of God, ceremonially clean. Don't stop her at the temple gates. Don't stop her at the synagogue doors anymore. I declare her clean. So that in that moment, while Jesus uh, uh, tells her to speak and himself responds, what he's saying is, everybody, she believed, consider her clean and at peace with God and look at me as the one able to heal and able to bring peace with God. So, we see here the masterful, wonderful Savior who removes superstition, right? It's not that you touch a piece of clothing, you receive a tissue in the, in the mail from some online televangelist. It's none of that ridiculous superstition. Rather, it's a personal faith. Jesus said, you touched my hem, but it's me that you came to. I declare healing over you. I declare that you are now at peace. So, Jesus, in doing all of this, glorifies himself as the mighty, miracle-working Messiah who is bringing a kingdom that is able to outlast, overcome, and overtake all of the kingdoms of this world. And then we, as she goes away and Jesus keeps on, uh, uh, in fact, while he's speaking, he, he's probably still in the middle of a little address. He saw an opportunity that perfect opportunity. And as he takes his breath, somebody comes and interrupts them saying, Jairus' daughter is dead. You were too late. (laughs) The bleeding woman took the opportunity. Jairus and you did not get to the house in time. Now she's dead. Okay. Jesus only has limited power. He can only do so many good things. And today's miracle is gone. It was taken by somebody else. Well, we see Jesus' response is again, a loving, Ignorance. He, he doesn't even respond to that. He simply says to the man, uh, he says, do not fear, but believe. One thing that we need to pull out of, of this as we start looking into the, the scenario of Jairus' dying daughter is that Mark has shown us all sorts of uh, you know, people of the masses, all the poor people out in Galilee, they're all coming to Jesus, of course they are. They're, they're touched by the curse. They're thoroughly infected with sin and sickness. But in one of the most well-to-do synagogues, one of the, the leaders, one of the elders over that, high in rank and honor and, and and pomp and glory in that kind of day, he would have been very well-to-do. Even he has a home that is touched by sickness and death. Death respects no rank. It, it does not knock on your door. Ask your your standing or your status or your income or your savings or your lineage or your inheritance. Nothing. Sickness and death touches every household. God slays the king as as easily as he will slay a, a beggar. And here, sin and sickness and coming death. The words that he uses here is that no one can help her. She's at the point of dying. In other words, she's terminal. Everything has stopped working. We're now waiting it was a desperate enough situation that had infected his house despite his rank, that had infected his house, that he I don't know how, how desperate he must have been or what the scene was, but can you imagine realizing the daughter's dying and the father just sprints out of the room? You'd think he'd, he'd be back in a minute with some water, with some, with some scripture scrolls to pray with some elders from the synagogue. He doesn't come back. He's gone for a decent length of time. Where did he go? He's running to Jesus. He finds the crowd. He pushes through the crowd. And just like the demon-possessed man, he knows the status of Jesus. He knows enough about Jesus that while he's in rank over the synagogue, this Jesus is in rank over demons, over creation, over, over sickness. I'm going to ask him. And he throws himself at Jesus' feet. Humble, the, the, the sickness and death humbles even the kings of the earth and here he is humble though he's high in rank he's low in position in front of Jesus we see in the rest of the story that as Jesus goes even as the the news gets worse she's not just dying she's dead she's gone her breath has left her her soul and her spirit are separated we're told in the other gospels she was dead She had gone the way of everybody on earth because she is in Adam. And in Adam, all die, Paul tells us. She was guilty. She owed to God her life. She was suffering under the curse and she died. But while sickness and death, respect no rank and are powerful over all people... Jesus here in this story, Mark wants us to see that Jesus respects no rank and is authoritative and powerful over all things, including death. And so Mark is painting this picture. Jesus is coming. The, the enemy is just getting worse, apparently powering up. It's not just sickness, near death. It's death itself has barred off that woman's soul. The, the, the doors are locked. You can't get her out. Maybe, maybe you're even thinking that, 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 that in the background, the sickness heard that, that Jesus was coming and in an attempt to sort of secure its victory, quickly killed the woman because Jesus can heal. But Jesus was coming, also able to raise from the dead. And so he got there and there was reasonably a large funeral throng. And if you've been at a... If you, remember, he's quite powerful and influential. He would have all of his workmates there. Think, think of like a, a megachurch's pastor and his teenage daughter who is dying. It would be a, a humongous funeral. Many people coming to offer respects and condolences. Plus, in the Old Testament Judaism, they would hire professional mourners. That was the goth emo crowd of the day. They had a job. They, they would just turn up to funerals and to sad occasions and they would just openly wail uh, to, to, to sort of set the tone of the day. That was their job, and they were there. So so quite a crowd. And this time, Jesus had stopped with the other crowd where the healing happened. He stopped the rest of his disciples and the whole crowd. He took with him Peter, James, and John, his inner three, and Jairus. And so he came to the house, and seeing everybody, you read the story, he says, don't be silly. What are you doing? The gal will wake up. She's just sleeping, similar to what he said with Lazarus. Not because Jesus thought she wasn't dead, not because Jesus was actually saying she's not truly dead, but because Jesus is saying that when the Messiah, when God has, has decreed that he is going to raise something up again, death is an inappropriate word. It, we're, we're told this in the New Testament, that Christians, when we die, we're spoken of as sleeping because Jesus has promised that he's going to undo that process one day. Our bodies are going to come back up out of the ground and our souls from heaven will rejoin a glorified body. So we're just sleeping. Jesus says, she's not dead. Stop wailing. Stop being ridiculous. Go home. And they mock him. They jeer at him. They laugh at him because here's this guy. He can't have good publicity if one of his his customers dies. They know what he's doing. He's trying to claim that she's actually alive. I healed her and then she fell out of bed and died. That's what happened. No one else saw it. Small crowd, but I'll tell you, that's what happened. My healing ministry goes untouched. They don't know why he's saying that. Jesus gets laughed at, walks into the house with just the mother, the father and his three men. And he says to that girl, he takes her by the hand, he calls her daughter and he raises her up. Her spirit comes back, her blood starts pumping, her breath is in her lungs again and she wakes up And like a little 12 year old girl, that maybe you wake up after a long car ride, she just starts running. She's she's walking around the room full of energy, entirely alive. We see here Jesus has authority over death. Now, if you know your 1 Corinthians 15, you know it's not enough to say here that Jesus has the power of resurrection. This is not a resurrection, it is a revival this young girl, raised though she was, was going to die again. Resurrection is coming up out of death, receiving a glorified body, never to die or decay or grow old or weak or tired again. That's what happens at the end of the world. Jesus is not at the moment displaying that he has that power. That, that gets touched on at, uh, in, in, with Lazarus in John chapter 11. What Mark is showing us is that his power at the moment is not not a victory over death, it's an undoing of death. We're not undermining what Jesus did here, but, but we're getting the clarity of what Mark wants us to see. Jesus rewinds the process of death, bringing life back to the girl. What Jesus is going to accomplish by his death resurrection and then resurrecting us is not rewinding death. So great will be Jesus' authority as the Son of Man, Messiah, and King that he receives all authority on heaven and on earth after he's raised. That will be a kind of authority that lets death do its part and lets it serve him. That death takes people, kills them, and Jesus uses that just like a process of seed in ground. It's like a thief breaking into a farmer's house breaking down his barn door and and starts stealing all of the seed. And then to spite the farmer, goes throwing it into the soil and pouring water over it to ruin it and laughs at the farmer that I've ruined all of your seed. And the farmer simply sits down, puts his feet upon the head of that foolish thief and waits. And that exactly what that thief had done to come and steal and kill and destroy brings about the most glorious harvest that that thief had ever seen. This is the the coming power of Jesus, that he won't need to unwind the results of death on anybody. The process of death becomes a weapon in the hands of Jesus. He becomes gloriously in control over death instead of needing to remove it. And that's all yet to come. But at the moment, we see that Jesus unwinds death, rewinds it to show If he wants to stop it on anybody, he can. Everybody deserves death. Everybody is only living because Jesus chooses to not yet issue our death warrant for our sin. Anyone that's breathing in this room, in this world, if you are outside of Christ's salvation, you are on borrowed time. And at any moment, any moment, Jesus can decree that your life is now his. You will die, you'll face judgment and eternal agony. But if you're in Christ, you can die, go into the grave, soul to heaven, be with him until that day that he joins us back again. And Mark is showing all of these ideas coming through the healing ministry of Jesus. But let's look a little bit here at what the real application for us is. I think we, we need to realize that this physical miracle, and it would be an error to say that the application today is we have dead-raising ministries. If you look at a physical miracle of revival and think that the application is physical revivals of dead people, you are looking at a sign as if it pointed to itself, as if golden arches on the side of the highway is where you go and stand under their neon glow to be nourished not realizing they point to something else. The physical raising of this girl is not supposed to focus on itself. It points to Jesus as a Messiah who is bringing a kingdom of spiritually renewed and revived people. So if we rightly apply this text to ourselves and we rightly think tota scriptura, not just a verse here and there that we can... Throw together but if we understand the, the flow of Scripture in redemptive history that the sovereign God is choosing and saving a people for himself that it all focuses on Jesus and that the gospel age started with the establishing of a kingdom and that that kingdom is entered by people being renewed and regenerated through faith in Jesus cleansed of sin brought into a spiritual community that's what Jesus is doing That's what was future to the day of the first century. And Jesus, by plucking people up out of death, is proving that that's going to happen. So what does a physical revival teach us today? That Jesus is the one with authority to build a kingdom with spiritually revived people. The first point of application here is, if we are hungry for the spiritual revival of spiritually revived, Dead people, you first have to ask yourself, do you have a dead child? Do you have a dead cousin? Dead best friend? Who maybe in the past you've come to Jesus and mentioned their name because they're dead or they're near death or you don't know what, 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 what might happen to them but you're, you're sure they're outside of Jesus and maybe you're desperate for them and, and you've come and you've thrown yourself before Jesus and you have begged for him to save them. Spiritually renew them and bring them into Christianity, into the kingdom, forgiveness, salvation. Maybe the situation or other people or their friends or them themselves have come to you like Jairus' friends here and said, do not bother Jesus anymore. I'm not coming. Don't believe it. I don't want to hear the gospel anymore. Stop praying for me. Stop praying for him, this, this person. Maybe everything around you says, do not bother the master anymore. They're dead and you, with faith that hears what Jesus said this morning, do not fear, only believe. I cannot promise you the, the revival and regeneration of every person you know, but I promise that Jesus is no less today hearing prayers of his desperate people who believe that he is the Messiah, who delights to seek and save the lost. Do not give up on your imploring and begging of Jesus that you might receive back from the dead your children, your cousins, maybe your parents, whoever they are, if they need Jesus, he's ready to receive them, so pray for them. Now we need to realize as as one, maybe a theological point here is that the scripture tells us as we think about this woman of the blood who was bleeding. We're told in, in scripture as a biological point that life is in the blood. You need blood, yeah, that was quite countercultural back then. They thought if you got sick, they need to get some of that yuck red stuff out of you. That'll be hurting you. So in a way, they would bleed you, but the Old Testament, through, by the wisdom of God, had told everybody, the life is in the blood. It's very important. Don't drink it, don't eat it, don't share it. It's important. Keep it. Well, one of the reasons that the Old Testament said that was because by blood shedding, sacrifice and forgiveness of sins would be made. We're told life is in the blood. And, and so as she bleeds, she's losing her life. Life is going away from her. She is dying because of her shedding of blood. But, but in Jesus, and as the gospel would, 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 would come to fruition at the end of Mark, we see that by the shedding of Jesus' blood comes remission of sins, forgiveness, life and new creation, not death. This is Jesus undoing the curse, using death once again as a weapon of salvation. While she was dying from the shedding of blood, she would receive mercy because Jesus would shed his blood. And then how should we think about healing? Everyone wants the pastor to say something interesting about healing, what we can expect. We read a story like that. Who's going to come down the front and get a leg slightly improved in length? What we know is that you and I, because we have the sick around us, maybe in our family, chronic sickness or acute injuries that occur, what we know is that, and what we should be confident on, is even out of this text, we can look at the heart of Jesus and know that he can heal whoever he wishes. And we trust that he may. We trust that he may. It may be in his will to do such a thing and therefore, knowing that he can, believing that he may, we come and we ask that he would. We ask with a faith that believes in his ability, believes in his loving power, that delights to be merciful to those afflicted by the curse. And because we know that he is the king over a kingdom, because we know that he is the sovereign over the universe, we trust in his omnipotent power and his infinite wisdom to do whatever he sees fit. And if, if this king would would uh, see fit that that somebody around us or ourselves go on in suffering. We bend the knee, we confess that Jesus is Lord, and we look forward to the day that we raise again to perfect health and immortal life. But at the moment, I I want to end with a little thought about that daughter, the 12-year-old girl, who had, for the rest of her life, this reminder from her parents, maybe when they they got annoyed at her, Maybe, maybe, maybe when she got near death, maybe as she grew up, she remembered all the time. Every moment is mercy. She should have died. What does one do like that with a whole new freely given life, a second chance? And I want to ask the, you, the, the crowd here this morning, I need to ask you, what have you done? Knowing that, that the second you sinned, the second that you've been manifesting a, a sinful nature that you've always had from conception, God has owed to you death. And every breath you breathe, every day that you live is mercy. You have as much reason to be thankful for God's mercy as this young girl. We don't get told that she gets saved. We don't get told that her faith is biblical and saving. All we know is that she was, she was given life, a second chance and there's some among us today who do not believe in Christ savingly, and yet you are still at the mercy of Jesus, what will you do? Will you simply prolong your death? Maybe maybe that's what Jairus' daughter did. She prolonged her death, waited, and still went to the same place of hell. Well, maybe, maybe realizing the mercy that she'd been shown, and maybe realizing the mercy of God and how much he delights, she cast her faith on Jesus and believed and was saved and Our prayer and our invitation and, in fact, the Lord's command is that that would be you this morning. You would look to Jesus as he died on the cross, he died for sinners. As he rose from the dead, he secured eternal life for anybody that would believe in him. And that now he is enthroned and he gives forgiveness, repentance and faith to all of God's chosen people. And that you receive salvation, renewal, an entirely changed life when you look to him and trust in him and turn from your sin and receive him. I want to pray over us in exactly that measure this morning, that you would believe and be saved, and that the rest of us would love Jesus and recognize his lordship, authority, and power. Let's pray. Father God, you've been merciful to us. You are good and you do good. And in all of your justice, you could have drowned this earth in a second round of wrath and fury, but God, you had promised that you would be merciful. You had promised in common grace that you would, you would be patient with, with the human race until such a time as you would send salvation and explode this, this God kingdom in the world. And we thank you that Jesus, we thank you that Jesus came as you had sent him, that he lived the life we could not have lived, that he died the death that we should have died, and that he has established a, a family, a kingdom, a people saved by grace alone. I pray, Lord, that, all of us who know you would, would focus our life on how to serve you and honor you and glorify you. But I pray that anybody who does not believe in you this morning would give to you their sin, would bring all of their spiritual illness to you and allow themselves to be healed by you, that, that we would trust you whether you, you, whether you decree for us to suffer in this life or have a, a joy-filled life with relatively little suffering. Lord, we trust them both to you Whatever you do with the life that you've purchased is for you to decide. But I pray, Lord, that people would believe. Believe that you have authority over life and death, over sickness and over healing, because you are the Son of God come to save. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.